Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Hmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. I'm here today again with Gaj Ravichandra. Welcome. Thanks, Karen. Great to be here. Happy New Year. Oh, same to you. Now, just to remind everybody, we spoke a few weeks ago. You're a psychologist and you're a, what do you call it, mindset trainer? Is that how you call it? Yeah, so mental toughness and mindset, yeah. And we were having the best conversation off screen just then. I went, you know what, I'm going to press record (laughs) because I'm regretting not recording this. We were going to talk today about knowing yourself and then creating yourself and how that impacts on creating your future. Mm. And something that I was going to ask you when it came to New Year's, I scrolled through social media on New Year's and there's all these things about, oh, this is what I'm going to achieve this year. And last year was amazing and blah, blah, blah. And I end up feeling, first of all, inadequate because (laughs) (laughs) these people have achieved so much and no comparison going on there. But second, one of the things I found out over the years for me personally is that if I do a list of what I'm going to achieve by when, never works. Mm. Whereas if I go, okay, what do I want to experience? I want to experience fun and love and laughter and connection and blah, blah, blah then it leaves me open, it gives me an overriding framework to do different things other than, you know, what I might have had in mind that I actually wanted. And one of the things I wanted to get out there is there's so many different ways for people to create themselves. But actually, we need to go back because one of the things that we were just talking about is about knowing yourself. You've got to know yourself too. (laughs) I like to talk. I couldn't tell. Yeah. (laughs) So let's start the conversation with that, because that's what we were just talking about. Knowing yourself can be really difficult. Look, my joke was tongue in cheek, right? The fact that that about yourself, I think, is a super it's a superpower, right? Because then you actually can use that in some positive way, whether it's running a podcast or the way you interact with your family or clients and other things. And I think that self-awareness is the first step. So how do we get self-awareness, right? Because we need to have some sort of baseline or benchmark on on where we are right now. And there's a couple of things that I always think are important. Your values. So what is actually important to you? So the things that have constituted who you are that we can embrace through our childhood, through our teenage years, the exposure that we've had to different experiences, and then these internal and external motivators, right? The things that drive us. And so once we understand those two components, understanding these internal motivators is really challenging, right? Because we have a sense of our external motivators, right? We all want to get paid what we are worth, right? In the market. We all want to be able to necessarily have those holidays to be able to drive a nice car, live in a nice home, to be in a safe suburb. All of those kinds of things are really important. What we tend to find is that they have a shelf life in terms of actually continuously helping us. And so that shelf life is three to six months, right? A great example is when you get a pay rise at work, people are happy for the first three to six months, but then guess what happens? You want another pay rise, right? And so that really doesn't satiate you. It doesn't fulfill you. And so the other things, the internal things that can help you are around that sense of maybe collegiality, working with people, your colleagues, that sense of achievement, right? Maybe there's an element of, work that is meaningful, right, that has an impact on those people around you. And once we tend to understand those internal drivers, what we call intrinsic motivators versus extrinsic, the external, that can be helpful. But there is a third piece to this, right? And the third piece is the part that most people never get to in their lives. And I tend to come across this a lot with people going through midlife crisis going through different stages of change in their life. It could be through marital change. It could be through their kids leaving home. It could be through all sorts of things, sometimes redundancy that they've had to face in the workplace. And that is this concept of motivated skills, right? The idea that there are things that you are good at and the things that you enjoy doing. And so when you have a sense of what are those things in my life, just because I enjoy doing something, it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily great at it. 
right? And vice versa. And so trying to find what those things are and understanding the pattern that has existed in our life as we go through major achievements in our life. And you can do this as an exercise for thinking about the major achievements in your life, right? the things that you think are important. These patterns come up, right? And so those internal things, your values, your internal external motivators and these motivated skills, I think we, saw, we call this passion sometimes, the things that you're passionate about right? Sometimes that language is used. That helps us to know who we are. The great ancient, the Greek philosophers, Seneca and so forth, used to look at this and they used to call it know thyself, right? How could you possibly go out into the world and do things that are helpful or impactful without knowing who you are first, right? And what impact that was going to have on you. And for thousands of years, this piece of knowledge has existed. We've just somehow manage to neglect that in terms of how we look at ourselves so i don't know if that answers your question around those these areas yeah yeah it does but knowing yourself is something that isn't necessarily comfortable because i know for example that i can get quite irritable when somebody when i put something up for sale on facebook and somebody offers me 50 percent of what i've asked for it i just find that quite rude yeah <laughs> But I want to know that's how I respond, because if I don't know what my reaction to something is going to be, I've got no control over it. I have no choice. Mm. So to me, and this is what I think a lot of people may not understand, that sounds really patronising, but knowing what you do and how you react to something gives you a choice. You can choose to do that or not. And that to me is the most important and attractive thing about mm. knowing myself because it gives me a choice. I can choose yeah. to be a complete idiot. I won't swear on it. Or I can choose <laughs> to do something different. I can laugh at myself and let it go. I think there's a general feeling that when you're looking at yourself like that, it's not pleasant. And I think there's that great saying by this French philosopher Pascal in the 19th century, who had this beautiful quote that I think goes right to the heart of what you're saying. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. He said something along the lines of all of the world's problems come from the fact that we cannot sit alone in a room by ourselves with our thoughts. This level of discomfort that we face. And I don't know if all the problems in the world are due to that, but I think a lot of them probably are. Mm. And that sense of awareness that you're talking about, Karen, is so critical. And you and I were talking off air about this just recently around understanding our personality and what is it in the moments of stress that creates us to behave in a particular way that causes us to revert to a natural style. And so once we have an awareness of those things, if we accept that personality is neither good or bad, we would never score personality on that kind of scale. It's just what is our natural preferred style? That's it. That's all it is. And so every personality question is based on this one particular series of traits called Ocean from Fisk in, in the 1940s. Openness to experience, conscientiousness, right? Getting things done, planning, thinking, being pragmatic, focused on attention, extroversion, where we get our energy from. Is it internal or external? Do we like spending time with people? Do we like to spend time alone? agreeableness, that sense of empathy, altruism, trust, willingness to help people. And then neuroticism, this emotional instability or stability, right, that exists. Our personality is pretty much a series of factors based around those five elements. And so if we understand where we are on those things, then we know that in moments of stress, in the times when things really matter, right, that we might need to have that knowledge in our back pocket so that I know that I'm going to, if I'm going through a period of stress and I know my natural style is to be deeply conscientious, focused on the detail, maybe I know my head is going to be in the sand and I'm not going to look up and see the train coming right at me. And so it's important that I know that about myself and it may not be comfortable, right? And I think this is where we need to dis make the distinction between discomfort and safety. These are two very different things, right? I think a lot of us confuse that. And I've seen that a lot in the clients that I work with. And I've noticed this in myself, right? Sometimes I've had, I felt really uncomfortable about something. And therefore I've equated that to, 
I am unsafe. But very rarely are we unsafe. Very rarely do we have a lion that is running at us. Back in the old time, we were foraging and so forth. So what does the discomfort mean? What is it triggering inside me? And I think there are a couple of truths that I have that I feel are relevant. And one of them, for example, is I feel like we are all broken. We're all broken beautifully. And if we accept that we are broken because of our background, our past, our experiences, that the things that we might want to focus on, the areas of purpose or passion or interest, there's a lot to be said for the things that broke us. And so it's uncomfortable to go back and to look at those things. It doesn't mean you're unsafe. And I think when you explore that, there is such richness that comes from what sparked the volcano, right, or the eruption. And I think where I've seen wonderful outcomes in people is when they've had the courage to go and target those things that they are uncomfortable with, where they're afraid, and to do it in a safe environment or context. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's about, I've had a few people who did not want to go back and study, right, because of their the experience they had at school, it was so disjointed and unhealthy for them, right? And yet they, when they work through that process and they realize that postgraduate work is quite different to being in high school, right? There's an element of feeling safe and putting up with a system that can help you. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is the things fascinating. Where mm. does this association with discomfort and not being safe come from? How did that start? Yeah, there's a lot of concept, a lot of talk around the psychological safety things, right? And I think fear drives a lot of our lives, right? I think there's very few people who run towards fear in the things that we do. Those people either have very extreme outcomes, right? Either they die, right, which has been the evolutionary path of things, or they have immense success, right? And I think nowadays, for example, you're running a company, if you're afraid of expansion, right, of growing your business, there are some potential outcomes there, right? One is that you could actually stumble upon something that really helps you, right? That helps you to take your business to the next level. There could be some things that result in you going bankrupt, right? And these are absolute outcomes, right? These are extreme outcomes, but absolute outcomes. But there also, there's a whole bunch of space in between which we forget about. And what fear does to us is it polarizes our thinking. And so we forget the gray. We just remember the black and white, right? So if I do X, I might fail, right? If I do X, I might become a billionaire, right? There's a lot between being a billionaire and failing at something. Some billionaires might have told you they just got lucky as well, right? There's a lot of luck, obviously, involved in achieving wonderful commercial success in something. And the humble ones will tell you that. I think the uh, Elon Musks probably won't, right, of the world. It's all about his hard work, supposedly. Yeah. So anyway, I think there's a lot to be said for the grey and being aware of the grey. It goes back to your point around that self-awareness, Karen. It's really interesting as you're talking because if I think of myself, I'm not so much afraid of the failure itself. What I'm afraid of is people seeing me fail. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's a, isn't that the adage, right? That success has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan, right? <laughs> and the idea that I'm going to be an orphan as a result of not achieving this, what does that mean for me? Now, deeply as humans, we want a sense of connection, a sense of belonging, a sense of feeling like we're part of something, right? And if I'm going to be an orphan as a result of this failure, do I want to go down that path? Absolutely not. Why would I choose this? See, absolutely, it is about how we interpret the outcome for ourselves and that emotional, the emotional element of that equation, right? So that kind of lends itself very interestingly to perhaps that idea of the beliefs that we have created for ourselves, right? That if I do X, Y, Z and I fail, that this is going to cause a an outcome that I'm not going to be happy with, Right. And so I think that sense of what are beliefs, they're just repeated thoughts, right? And therefore, repeated thoughts, beliefs can be changed, right? Because by definition, they're just repeated thoughts. We used to believe that the earth was flat, right? We had no proof, but we used to believe it, 
And the only reason we believed it is because we just kept telling ourselves that the Earth is flat, right? That's it. So now all of a sudden we say the Earth is, some people still say the Earth is flat, but most people will believe it's a sphere, right? And now we believe something differently. But the thoughts affect the feelings and the feelings affect the behavior, right? That's where I guess the emotions kick in that cognitive cycle of our life that runs each and every single one of us. Eight billion people are driven by exactly the same mechanism, right? And when we see Democrats versus Republicans, Labour versus Liberal, Christians versus Islam, we think that there are all these differences between us, right? And this is what we choose to focus on. Actually, there's so much more in common than there is actually that separates us. And we all want a sense of belonging. We all want a sense of community. We all want a sense of not being afraid. I think we talk to people about guns in America. And when you keep digging down as to why people want to have guns, it's because they want to protect themselves. They feel afraid, right? And so they want the choice, but the choice is about protecting themselves and their family. And so if you feel that you are unsafe, you will want to make choices differently. Whereas if you feel you're safe, of course, the outcomes will be a little bit different. So you're right, the emotional triggers and the outcomes are so different. How do you manage your emotions, Karen? Honestly, awareness. I have to keep, I, I spend a lot of time, usually first thing in the morning when I'm laying in bed and it's, oh, I did that when that happened, huh, that didn't work out so well. I feel really pretty crap about that one. What else could I do? Why did I feel like that? I enjoy doing that. I enjoy looking at my motivations and my reasons. And one of the things, and it actually ties in with where I was going to go with what you were just saying, is we like certainty. We like to know stuff. So that gray area where, you know, it's black or white, it's Republican or Democrat, Labour or Liberal. We don't like the in-between stuff because there's no certainty there. And (laughs) that's what I do with my, when I'm analysing things, there's nothing special about it. I just want certainty as to how I'm going to behave, how I'm going to react, and whether what I'm going to do in any given situation is is in alignment with what's important to me. It's really Mm. as simple as that because everybody else, I don't like grey. I like to know. <laughs> Absolutely. Put things in boxes. It's wonderful. And I think you raise a really good point that, you know, particularly in the world that we live in, this VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, there's a lot of instability, right, in, in terms of that uncertainty. And so where we can grab uncertainty, we will, certainty, we will take it, right? Even if it means it may be to the detriment of who we are, because at least it provides some stability of outcome right for us so you're right it's that sense of reflection i think a lot of people they don't make the time that you have made and invested in yourself right to sit back even for five minutes and to say what actually worked well today what are some things that i could what's one thing that i can tweak for tomorrow that might be really interesting for me and you know how business schools love acronyms so i don't know if you've heard of this acronym called bani b-a-n-i have you heard of that so that now the latest thing is saying the VUCA world is causing us to behave in a Banny kind of existence. Go figure. Banny is, it's making us feel brittle, fragile, all right? It's making us feel anxious. We are realizing that the world is non-linear. We used to live in a world where if I did X, Y, Z, I was going to get this outcome. That ain't happening anymore, right? And so it's really weird to apply, and we see this with people. People are still applying a linear mindset to a non-linear world. Of course, there's going to be confusion. Of course, you're not going to get the outcomes that you've been hoping for when you're applying a completely different way of looking at the world in a world that has completely changed. And so that, that is really interesting. And then the last one, I, is incomprehensible. There are so many things out of our control right now. So as the mental toughness Sages would say the idea that you need to control the controllables, that's that's really where your mental energy should be spent. That's the only thing that you can be doing right now around that. I think it's really fascinating. And I think that sense of fragility, am I going to do something that's going to make me feel fragile in an uncertain world? Or am I going to choose something that's going to make me feel a little bit more whole? And I think 
there are going to be some things that we have to make decisions on in terms of support around us so that we can make sometimes decisions where we are fragile, right? But we know that we have the support base to back us. And I think that's where our community, our tribe, the people around us make such a big difference. Yeah. So in this is being able to not admit, but express the fact that you're feeling fragile and scared and afraid. How important is it? Yeah, I think absolutely critical. I think I talk to my male friends around this all the time. It's not it's something we're getting better at, but we are way behind women on this because that level of vulnerability was not socially acceptable for a very long period of time. It's only in the, really in the last maybe 50 years where men being fragile or vulnerable is something that has come into the mainstream sort of discussion, right? And so I think it's a generational thing that we have to work on as men. We have a lot to learn from women in this in terms of how women create structures that support that vulnerability right i'm not saying i'm making some general statements here but i think generally it's pretty clear in the literature the research societies that women do a much better job of managing that and therefore creating a support base and what that means is that women also are wonderful at using both parts of their brain two hemispheres right make decisions this is where multitasking well jumping from task to task right all that comes from this there's this bundle of nerves that connects the two hemispheres called the corpus callosum the corpus callosum is larger in women than it is in men right because over so many thousands of years women have done this right so it's not an accident that if i look at my wife today that she is significantly better at doing this than me Right now, it's not an excuse. I can train myself and I can do those things, but there is something genetically, right, in her nature has developed this in lots of ways. I get into a lot of trouble by saying this sometimes, but I think that it's there's a lot of science, right, that sort of supports that. This is on a completely random side note, right? <laughs> I've just gone through everything, <laughs> thrown everything out, yeah. taken it to the tip and the op shop and stuff. And I said to my husband, I put a post up on Facebook yesterday. I said, I've finished yeah. everything else. I'm going to start on John's man drawers. He's got five of them and they're in my sights. So I came home last night and he texted me. He said, I've cleared out my man drawers. But what he's done is he's tipped everything into one big box in the hopes that he's going to go through it at some point. But that's, that is part of that. I want to, I want it clear and I want it all arranged so I can, which is, that's a very male hemisphere. What is with guys and man drawers? What is the man drawer thing? And why is it <laughs> so difficult to organize like that? There's something like you can run a building site, you can run a $20 million building site with his eyes closed. Cannot organize a draw. And I think this goes back to this point. And I was reading this article the other day around this concept, which is we all have, to some extent, not a definitive limit on our cognitive energy, but there is a lot of energy that we might have to, if you imagine a bucket, right, of the amount of decisions that we need to make in a day. Now, if you're making decisions on a $20 million site that have got to be hugely detail oriented, right? Literally. Something built 10 centimeters out is going to have an impact on an entire wall that is 20 stories high, right? Would you rather spend your cognitive energy on that or would you spend it on your drawers? And I think that we make those decisions sometimes without even consciously being aware. And so it's a bit like Steve Jobs used to wear the same clothes. And the reason was he didn't want to spend any energy thinking about what he wore, right? Because he wanted to invest all that energy into designing the next iPhone or whatever it might be. And so I think all of us make a choice, right, around where we invest our energy, whether it's our physical energy, our mental energy, our spiritual energy, there's so many things that we do. And I just wonder with men, whether we have been trained to some extent to focus our energy in other places. Now, What's interesting is that my dad's a civil engineer and he used to be highly, he's still highly left brain dominated. It doesn't work, hasn't worked for 15 years, retired. His drawers are immaculate. With his cognitive energy now, he's spent on organizing these things. So sometimes it's context, 
It's life situation. There's so many different things. So I think there's still hope for your husband left. That's what I'm saying, Karen. <laughs> He's under threat now. If I find that box in the storage container and he hasn't sorted it out, I'll be going through it. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So let's put the shoe on the other foot here. Where do you feel like you would spend more cognitive energy that you may not be at the moment? Is there Are there some areas in your life, work, whatever, that you feel like you want to? Yes, absolutely. So I started a business that does podcasts for other people and teaches people how to do podcasts. And one of my big complaints in the second half of last year was I haven't got the emotional energy or the cognitive space to put time into that when we've got so much stuff going on in our lives. Mm. Apart from that, I've got just too much going on in the kids' lives, in John's lives. My dad's been sick, everything happening. Oh, and then I decide to sell the house because there's not enough going on in my life. You're bored. You're bored. <laughs> but that's been it for me. And it's one of the reasons why I did want to sell yeah. this house because it's it's a change of routine for me. So that, okay, I can move away from all that. I don't know why, but... I'll start a new routine up there. That's the theory for me. I want to get spend more of my energy on doing the business because I've done everything. I just mm. haven't promoted it and put any effort into letting people know that it's out there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's do a bit of a thought experiment. If we were to imagine you had a bucket, you are full, right? In fact, you're probably overflowing, right, with the amount of things that are going on. If you knew that you wanted to spend more time on this business with podcasts and helping people with their podcasts, what would be the things that you would want to, for this year, compartmentalize or to reduce so that you could then invest that emotional energy into this podcast business? There have been some things that you've noticed that have depleted your energy, right? And you need to rejuvenate to be the best form of yourself, right? Mm. You do need to have that energy for yourself. And I think that, what do they say when kids go and do a gap year? right, when they finish school before they go on to the next phase of their life. The research is unequivocally consistent that if you do a gap year with structure, the outcomes of that child are significantly better than the child who goes straight on to the next part of their life, right? Unequivocally, the research for 25 years has been consistent. So what is it about that time where you disconnect from what has been depleting you, right? For that period of time, you it's almost like a mini reset, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't go back to what you are going to do anyway, but that context, that recharge, whatever that phase of your life is, just it gives you another opportunity, right? To get ready for that next phase. I was having this conversation with my wife. We've been having these conversations. Is Our eldest is going into 11, youngest is year eight over the next five years they're going to be heading off you've gone through this phase in your life my wife has been home right all that time she's set up little companies and little businesses and different things nothing that has given her that sense of full value for herself right something that it's hers that she owns that is that sense of that ownership and i think when the kids go on to create their own identity it's interesting that Right now, selfishly, I was having this conversation with her to say, I, I don't feel like I'm a priority in your life, right? And she said, between the kids and home and whatever, I don't have time. And I said, it's great. But when the kids are gone, do you think magically you're just going to reprioritize me? Because I don't think that's going to happen. No, <laughs> I don't think it works it. that way. No. It's like a skill. You just got to keep practicing that skill and working on that skill. And I think that was one of the interesting things that I noticed that and I wonder about this in relationships and marriage and all the rest of it. Actually, the partners are always the first priority. You are your first priority yourself. And then your partner is the next priority. The kids are important and they are a priority, but perhaps they're not as important as the other partner. And I think sometimes I wonder whether those priorities get mixed up as we go through life. And maybe that's what's meant to happen. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that definitively, but I think it is very hard to go back and then reprioritize some of and, these and things. And I, I think you're spot on there because from personal experience, 
there is no possible way I could have mm. prioritized my husband in front of my kids. Not physiologically, mentally, emotionally possible, just mm. not mm. because of the hormones involved. It has yeah. to be the kids first. Yeah, yeah. It's kids first, then husband. We come last. That's the problem because the then problem. you hit menopause, yeah. and apparently, a lot of that is caused by estrogen. The estrogen actually makes women want to take care of everybody else. That's actually hormonally necessary. So when you hit menopause and the estrogen stops being produced, you suddenly look around and go, what the hell? That's fascinating. Fascinating. What has happened? Right? Yeah. <laughs> How do I get here? In all this. Yeah. And so the biggest mm. divorce rate in age groups is in 55 and upwards. Yeah, fascinating. Because women are just going, hang on a minute, and now because we're not restricted by the things, well, if you get married, you stay married forever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going, oh, and the husband's going, well, hang on a minute, you've been looking after the kids, You now it's time for you to look after me, and the women are going, oh, <laughs> don't want to look after anybody. What do you think I've been doing all this time? <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually, yeah. that is one of the things that goes on. That And again, generalisation. But, and that's part of what I'm doing now is to try and go, okay, reset, because I'm back now in terms of hormones to where I was before I hit puberty. So now I've got to reassess my life without all the hormones making me do certain things, basically what's going on. And that's, we've had the same conversation that you're having with your wife so many times over yeah. the years. Yeah. And it's so difficult to explain it. It's not that that there's no love there there's no care there there's just not the emotional capacity to put you first sorry dude yes yeah <laughs> and I think it's something we have to accept right you're absolutely right there's a deep physiological mental emotional reasoning behind a lot of these things that happen and I wonder whether part of that is also then therefore okay if there's self-awareness around these things mm. are there some things we can do right and maybe the trivial thing around date nights, maybe that part of that was around finding moments to connect, finding moments to connect, right, on a, on a consistent basis. But you're absolutely right. I think men have to become better at understanding these changes that are taking place at different phases for their partner, for women in particular. And I think as we also then understand each at each of these different phases, we've also got different motivators that are coming through right so at 50 what you want to do is different to what you wanted to personally do at age 30 or age 20 right and so therefore have I got this and have I developed and spent the time nurturing those skills to do that have I got the community around me that can also help me and support me my tribe of people and I see a lot of women in their late 30s and early 40s joining entrepreneurial clubs and associations right because I think there is an awareness that is going to be something that they want to tap into, right? And there's similar-minded people, there's a bit of comfort and security, stability, and empathy that, that sits in those groups. It's just a shame that it can't necessarily come from the partner as well. Yeah, and it does in would, some places. I was just yeah. going to say that. Don't want to leave you with the impression that it's all the men's fault for not understanding. Yeah. That is not what I'm saying at all. I, it's a conundrum that I've got no answer to I don't all I was doing was explaining the female's point of view it's not right and men aren't wrong it's I don't know how we can actually manage it other than because I didn't have I can think of any number of occasions where the thought of a date night was just (laughs) I just want to go in the bath by myself seriously it, it was just too I just didn't have the yeah. energy to do it and we got yeah. four kids so my, I remember my dad saying years ago he said you can tell how many kids a woman has by how tired she looks wow yeah <laughs> Which I thought was really observant but you are emotionally invested in them and there has to be that break that and reset there has to be a break and reset mm. and it is about getting into each other's worlds but it's what happens is so not fair on the guy in mm. a lot of ways. The woman's 100% occupied mm. with raising those kids to the best of her ability, probably. Generalisation, but probably. Yeah, yeah. problem for the partner. It's just not. Yeah. So how do we move beyond that? Because it isn't fair on you guys, especially not when most of you 
certainly my husband and certainly you are committed to making everything work. Sure. Yeah. And I think this is where what's really interesting. I'm seeing a massive deselect of having children and, and definitely having children later in life as well, right? That sense of understanding, spending time and investing in yourself and your partner and those things as well. So I wonder where there's a bit of a shift. There's a bit of a change there, right? That's taking place. It'd be interesting to observe what happens over the next 20 years. Things are moving so quickly. It's hard to predict. Can't imagine the next 20 years. I can't imagine the social changes, all these things that are happening. I can't imagine. And I do feel bad for the people, particularly the older people who don't have that capacity to keep up with the changes that are going yeah. on. And I think they've got their own stuff that they're dealing with, <laughs> right? As they're going through their own parts of their life. I'm trying to explain to a grandparent, perhaps, I've seen some wonderfully progressive and nimble grandparents as I talk to people and others who perhaps are just not, they're so fatigued, they're tired. And so that level of energy that is required to keep up with the change is also quite significant. Yeah. How do you create yourself, going back to what we originally said mm. we were going to talk about, we've gone <laughs> wonderfully off topic, but how do you create yourself and your future? Because there are lots of different ways to do it. You can do a plan. And you can write it all out or yeah. you can do one word, which is what my friend does, just one word. Yeah. What was it she said for this year? Oh, change. She's going to take on change. I'm like, oh, you're brave. <laughs> <laughs> As in she doesn't want to do it anymore? Because once we start becoming aware of ourselves, what's the best way to sit and become aware of yourself? I think there is that introspection. That there's a number of exercises and approaches that have been created around this space, right? And some of the best ones are what we call reflected best self, right? If we think about who do I want to spend most of my time being, it's usually our best selves, mm -hmm. right? So understanding... What? Who am I at my best self, at the achievements that I've had, the things that have given me happiness, made me feel fulfilled? When you go back to those moments and you uncover and you peel away the onion in those situations, you start to see who you were in those best self moments. Now, what happens is that you also start to see, Karen, these little connecting dots, right? These patterns that keep repeating themselves. And so when we understand a little bit more about that, then we might say, okay, if I'm to put myself in situations this year where I've got more of those opportunities, right, what would that look like? Is it about helping other people to grow their podcast business? Is it about spending some time, more time in nature and then reflecting? Is it about spending some time traveling? So there could be different things that reconnect to those elements that are somewhat deeply ingrained within us right? And so I think tapping into that is important. Um, for me, having, as humans, there is some value in having a direction in where we go. And so I think sometimes feeling like we're just floating can create a lot of anxiety, right, in us naturally. And so pick a point in the future, right, some sort of destination, but it's not a goal in the strictest sense, it's a focus right? And so that just becomes a focus and the focus changes, right? That's the beauty of a focus. You can focus on anything you want, right? So it's not something stuck in, in quicksand, right? You've got to make a decision on that. So I think having a focus, you're heading in a direction. What are the things along that direction that are going to fulfill me, that are going to make me feel a sense of connection with my, it could be a purpose or passion. It could be, and those values and motivators that we spoke about, does it align to my natural state from a personality perspective, right? Or is it asking me to be the opposite of who I am? Because I know it's going to feel like I'm going against the grain, right? Naturally, every day. And this is where people, they feel fatigued, right? They feel tired because they're acting, they're forced to act in a way that is not their natural state. And so, what happens then is when you come from work and you're not operating in a natural state, when you come home, you're not bringing your best self home, right? And so then your family gets the worst of it. And I hear this all the time. I've got less patience with my kids. I'm irritable with my partner. I don't make the time to spend time. I'm not present when I'm spending time with them. All those typical symptoms that we tend to see. So 
what is my best self? What are the situations and contexts that are going to bring that up for me over this year? When we used to do career planning 20 years ago, we would look at a 10-year plan, right? If you can see beyond two, three years now, you are the oracle, right? I just, I don't see how people can predict, right? So therefore, we have a focus. That's okay. You can set a focus for three to five years, right? However, sometimes the acceptance has to be that is simply a direction. It is not an end goal. And I think when we remove that pressure, it can be quite comforting for some. It can be quite debilitating for others because it's a different way of thinking because it's black and white. We have to go a little bit into the gray. It's a new skill set. I don't know if that answers your question, Karen, but I think it, it is using a combination of those things. It does. For me, I'm the kind of person, I don't like concrete. Mm. I like general and then I play around and swim around underneath there and go in a direction under the general, see what comes up and go in the direction. It's interesting, just thinking about what you've said, all of these five-year plan, write out what you want in great detail. Where are you going to be in three years' time, five years' time, Mm. ten years' time? Mm. If that's now becoming obsolete is it becoming obsolete or is it something you do to get you moving forwards it can be a massive momentum shifter for people again going back to your natural personality right so if you're deeply conscientious one of the the big five personality styles that could be really helpful for you right it can really spark some focus and direction and guidance and comfort right but if you're not naturally someone who is deeply conscientious that can create panic right? And anxiety in you. Because if I veer off that path, what's going to happen? Am I failing? And going back to what is that natural state need to be? How do I naturally want to behave? Most people will have some sort of focal point in the future that they're working towards. It could be, you know what, I need to save up for a home, right? For a house, a holiday house or a home that I want to live in. Great. Work backwards. What do I need to do? What are some of those actions that I need to take on? that around that now depending on your personality style how much detail do i need to go to how open do i need to be to new experiences or can i just continue with the experiences that i've been having so far do i need to exert myself to new forms of energy right or can i be more introspective and so forth as part of that journey how altruistic do i need to be when i do that's the agreeableness piece And the emotional stability, are there things that are going to give me more emotional stability as a result of going down that path? Or is that going to create massive anxiety and issues, right, for me through that process? So understanding how that decision plays on my personality and how is that then going to empower me to achieve that? You need to invest your time in yourself to do this, right? There's no other way around this. I'm seeing... You know, there's a reason why psychologists have a three to six month wait list, right? People right now need to talk to somebody, right? Because we have gone through absurd amount of changes. Yes, COVID is a great catalyst for people reflecting and thinking about these things and what's important. But it would have been something else if it wasn't COVID, right? That would have forced us to get to this point of thinking. And so I think now let's use this as an opportunity to sit back and really think about What is the general direction that I'm going in? And how do I use my natural personality style to help me to get there, right? And if my natural personality style is going to be inhibitive, right, or prohibitive, right, towards that, what is the support mechanism that I need around me? Maybe there are certain mentors, coaches, friends, colleagues, people that I need to surround myself with. That's going to support me as well. I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to think, I'm going to do this on my own. You don't need to set up a podcast business on your own. There are so many people who would, I'm sure, play a role and support you on that wonderful journey. And even just the thought of that can make you feel a little bit lighter, right? Can make you feel a bit better knowing you're not doing it on your own, right? You're just going to find some two or three people that can support you, Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that was really necessary for me. And it goes back to something you said a few minutes ago. When I'm doing the podcasts, I'm not the kind of person who likes to talk at a screen. I do really well in a conversation. So I'll do the occasional solo episode, but 
95% of the time I'm talking to somebody because that's where I get my energy in these conversations. And I had to learn that the hard way. I'm like, why aren't I enjoying this? I enjoyed that one. It took a little bit. Oh, I need to be doing that. Yeah. Again, it's that self-awareness. And the other thing is, I've got to say this because I'm just going to be honest about this. The reason I don't like doing really detailed plans is because I don't like being told what to do, even by myself. (laughs) You know, what's interesting there is you've just (laughs) given this wonderful little insight into what drives you, right? And so if you were to dig into the past a little bit to understand that, uncover that a little bit, You'll understand what has driven that, what created that, what has driven that. And then how do you use that as a strength to kind of do that? I love looking at those things because going back to the fail, I don't like people seeing me fail. When I was about about nine or 10 and I was third base on the Rounders team, you know what Rounders is kind of like basketball, but the original one. And we were in the finals and the their team captain hit the last player she hit I caught her out and I stumped them and we won the championships and my teacher was just jumping up and down like she was over the moon what went through my mind was oh my god what is she going to expect of me now (laughs) isn't that interesting it is right and you can have a hundred kids in the same situation have (sighs) different experiences interpretation through their lens their filter their experiences their values their beliefs everything Mm. which is phenomenal yeah so it's that i told you that because it's fascinating i find that kind of thing really fascinating just oh that's Mm. so cool to know that because now again it goes back to that choice i like to understand why i'm doing things or why somebody else is doing things so that i've got a choice of how i respond which doesn't stop me getting road rage or anything and i think there's an element of then what do you do with this self-awareness right there's this great quote i think it might have been from nietzsche around the idea that having intellectual debate is the pastime of the privileged right and keep talking and talking but then what do we do with this talking right there has to be some purpose behind the talking otherwise we're just words are just going out into the atmosphere all right and so I think a sense of then the duty or responsibility around taking those things and creating action around that has an impact, right? On yourself, on people around you, on the community, whatever it might be. I feel like we, we've covered so many topics today. I feel like there are probably, this is not, I feel like this is not even one episode. It's like snippets of stuff that can just be released in one minute chunks right they go out I don't know what you think about that oh, it's, it's, well, my youngest daughter she's doing my social media thing so she'll get heaps of reels out of this which is great <laughs> <laughs> but I love these conversations because we go all over the place and we cover there's so much value in what we cover I hate interviews because yeah. you're just on one topic and blah 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 we've gone everywhere and there's so much depth and power in what's been said in this conversation. Thank you, Bert. Thank you so much. Like, oh, thank I really you. appreciate uh, it. I mean, the amount of, I think one of the things that I love about your style, Karen, honestly, is that, and I had to give this feedback to another podcaster the other day because they're asking for feedback from me. And I said that one of the things you do, you bring a lot of yourself to this vulnerability that when we talk about discomfort versus safety. I think you've actually worked out how to manage this, right? Like, this well, is just my... Still learning, but yeah, yeah, I have a go yeah. at it. <laughs> because you may be even uncomfortable saying some of these things, you realise you're still safe to say it. And that brings so much depth and wealth to the conversation because I think people listen to your podcast because of you. That's why they're listening to the podcast, right? There's how many podcasters out there? Right, a couple of I mean, million now. Yeah, why would you choose, right, to pick a particular podcast or to invest your time and energy? It's because of that person, and I think that's a wonderful skill that you have. So good on you. It's awesome. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I love it. Like I get so much out of it. It's fabulous. Everyone's got to win. Yeah, absolutely. No, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I, I don't know whether I was telling you last time we were talking years ago. I was doing a course and I took on the possibility of being vulnerable before I went in the course. I couldn't actually say the word in the lead up to it. 
but that was the course that I got the most out of all the things that I've done over the years. That one was the pivotal moment. And just find that, because going back to core values, respect and honesty are right up there for me. Learning is up there as well. Or I don't know whether it's learning or anyway, it's along those lines. But I'm not in alignment with my core values if I'm not sharing myself because then I'm not being honest. It's yeah. as simple as that to me. It was as soon as I took on the vulnerability, it fitted and it doesn't feel vulnerable to me. It just feels yeah. And my husband says, too much information. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the interesting part. I just literally summarized our entire conversation. Right. Oh. So the idea that you've taken those things that were values, things that were important to you, and you managed to construct that in line with your personality right so you've managed to find you've got those things you've connected it to the natural style that you have energy you like talking to people right you love the variety you love this sense of planning and being able to put something together with a gen but you also are aware that you like to have a general sort of freedom right then do what you need to do that then leads to also understanding who are the people that i need to surround myself with to be able to achieve that so that almost that triangle of passion or purpose, personality, and people, the three Ps. That's the kind of thing that I just took away from what you just said. It was interesting. I'm way more profound than it occurs in my world. It's, I think the for a lot of us, life is about pattern recognition, right? And once we see the patterns as humans, we get more comfortable in the mm. situation. And I think we are subconsciously if not consciously, trying to look for patterns in the way we do things. And when something breaks the pattern, even intuitively, we can feel it. And so when you got a, we got a guest on your podcast show and they break the pattern of how a guest should be, yeah, you know what that feeling is like. Oh, and no, you I... may, not, may not put your finger on it at the time, but, you, but something inside you starts stirring. You're like, oh, that's interesting. And it could be good. It could be healthy, right? But you can feel it. I think there's something quite profound about that it's interesting i love talking my favorite podcasts are generally psychologists or people who deal with human behavior there's been a couple of episodes where i've come out of it exhausted because yeah. as psychologists and human behavioral people you tend to be more open to discussing mm. yourself and things mm. and the conversation we bounce around all over the place but if somebody comes into my podcast wanting to be interviewed I can't do it I'm really yeah. hopeless <laughs> and that tells you about that conscientiousness right if it's super detailed if it's super focused on a plan it's like sandpaper it's going yeah. against your natural style it's fascinating Right. Yeah, it is. I hadn't thought about it from that context. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Nice. Let's just go with the flow. And yeah. I don't go with the flow either. I have to have, there has to be a structure that I can work within. Yeah, yeah. And that gives well, you some comfort, right? Which is good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. One thing we didn't cover that was going to, and I've forgotten again, yeah. it's just going out of my head. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Okay, it'll come up at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah, it will. Oh, no, that was where I was going to go. What yeah. time do you have to go? Do you need to finish up? Uh, probably at 11.30. But what time is it there for you now? 10.22. Okay, so 10.30 your time. Yeah. All right, another couple of minutes then. One thing I did want to discuss, mm. I've got the fan on top of me and it's making my eyes run, which is, is making it? my nose run. What I was noticing was that actually it looks like your hair's blowing around. It's like, it's like a movie. It's like someone's filming you. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a really cool idea. It looks like she's I'm in a there. cross between Bellatrix and Medusa with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have the hair for Medusa. I regret that I've lost it's that. Anyway. In the morning, it's bad. <laughs> One of the things that I get a little bit meh, irritable is the nicest light I can put it in, is when people... For example, here's where I'm going with it. I put a post up the other week about that, you know, when you put things up on Facebook Marketplace and somebody offers you 50% of what you're asking for, and I get really quite yeah. cross about the whole thing. The first thought that crosses my mind is F off and die you so. And then I'll let it go. 
but yeah. I put a post up saying that and there were a few people who commented back about how I really shouldn't reside in the anger and I should only think positive things about people and so first of all to me I just want to recognize and acknowledge that thought so mm. that then I can let it go otherwise to me I'm building stuff on top of it I can't just go oh no I'll just release that and let it go no I need to acknowledge it and I am very wary of positive mindset. I can't even think about a good terminology for it. The positive mindset people who are, you should only think positive thoughts or there's something wrong with you. There's there's a movement now around this toxic positivity. Okay. So too much positivity and purely focusing on this can be quite unhealthy. And I think, so there's a lot of literature coming out on this now. I think it's really interesting. And what's wonderful about that that comment that you made about the initial sort of reflex reaction that you might have, I think in lots of ways, firstly, they give us clues, right, into our values, because usually our values are non-negotiable on things. And so when we perceive a value on something and someone else hasn't perceived that value, there'll be an immediate reaction right that kind of takes place now pretty normal pretty natural right for that reaction to take place the wonderful thing is that you've worked out a way of filtering it right and so you can filter it in your mind so that it doesn't have to come out in a facebook comment to say go ahead and burn in hell which is healthy and constructive and socially appropriate right so these are all things that we have to learn and i think it's more about i think for your point Karen, I think this, firstly, the self-awareness of what that is. What is the trigger in that comment for, for you, for us, for anybody, right, that has caused us to, to jump to a belief or a value or a thought, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of inherent value in that. I think it's something maybe to explore, I think, for yourself around that. But I think this toxic positivity is very unhealthy. Uh, I think being positive for the sake of being positive, I think is unhealthy. And it's actually, I don't think it's the way nature intended, right? I think negativity and pessimism holds a place. I think it has, in fact, probably saved humanity on many occasions, right? I think in lots of ways. And so from the Neanderthal man or woman who felt the earth shake and said, you know what? I don't think we should stay in this cave. I think maybe we should probably leave, right? All the way through to modern day decisions that are being made. I think it holds a place. I think we should embrace these parts of us. Give us a bit of an insight. I also just, to me, it was just funny. That's not who I am. So to get this random, really aggressive thought going through my head, it was like, what do you think it served? What was the purpose of that? in your mind so if I go back to my values I'm I was being honest when I put that thing up and that guy was going no you're not honest (laughs) and he also wasn't respecting me there was no respect there (laughs) so that was my reaction because it hit two of my core values my honesty Mm. you didn't show me any respect there is this wonderful psychologist Dr John Demartini he's on Insta and various other things you might have come across him but he talks about this a lot he says none of us are all good or all bad. None of us are any extreme all the time. We are always jumping in between or somewhere in between. And and we can't be good or bad all the time consistently. And so once we accept that, and the idea is that someone will claim that you should be positive all the time, it's not even humanly possible, right, to do that. That would then force us to live into a live in a vacuum that is actually has been proven through history to be unhealthy because it doesn't help us evolve, right? We need negativity and pessimism to spark certain ways of thinking, right? Or ideas or approaches. It doesn't mean that it's destructive, right? But it can mean that if we just lived in a world of positivity all the time, I think we would literally be the equivalent of a dodo. (laughs) Can you imagine? I can't imagine that. And it's not to say that we should be, the negativity needs to be hurtful or harmful. There's a difference there. It shouldn't be creating safety issues, but it can cause discomfort. And we know that discomfort can be superly powerful. Superly? It's not even a word. 
Um, super powerful. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, I've coined something. So I, I think that initial spark, it may be a trigger for something for you to think about, but also generally for all of us, right? That we should embrace that initial reaction as a as an opportunity for that self-reflection. And the fact that you should pat yourself on the back that you didn't go and then go after this guy and be a troll. Their Facebook page. <laughs> so oh, good for you. Thank you. I'd better let you go. Thanks so much. Thank you. Always enjoy the conversations, Karen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.